0: KKXX Studios, Chico Life Ready 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. And if you are tuning in into this program by way of podcast, I just wish to continue to welcome all of you out there, especially those listening in the countries of Canada, Mexico, uh, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, uh, Portugal, France, Spain, Italy, India, South Africa. I continue to see all of you on the grid, and I really do want to welcome you. It is an honor that you are taking time out of your schedule, your busy schedule, to tune into Seeds of Truth Radio, where we reflect into Catholicism and the Catholic faith. So again, thank you. And it is Monday evening, so I do have John O'Hare with me. John, great to have you with me another evening.
1: Always nice to be here, and welcome to all of our podcast listeners.
0: (laughs) Amen. So John, Um, Here we are in the 20th century, another English figure, right? Uh, A few weeks back, we talked about uh, Cardinal Newman. Last week, we talked about uh, Tolkien and Lewis, and here we are talking about G.K. Chesterton, um, another great Christian thinker. Now, G.K. Chesterton um, was born in the 19th century, but we primarily see him as a 20th century figure, and We commonly call him the doctor of common sense because John, he had this way of uh, turning something upside down so as to turn it right side up. I mean, (laughs) this was what he was about. He is a fascinating figure on so many levels. And, you know, maybe we wouldn't think about G.K. Chesterton in the context of, say, a Saint Irenaeus of Lyon, France, or maybe a Saint Basil, or, or maybe a Saint John Chrysostom, but here we are, almost obliged to talk about him because of the kind of impact he had on not only the 20th century, but also how we think about approaching one another within the context of apologetics and evangelization. So he is a very important figure to talk about. He
1: is indeed. I would describe him mostly as a journalist. That's mm-hmm. what I, that's the way I see him yes, as, yes. and he straddled the century. He was born May 29th, 1874, died June 14th, 1936. So my sixth grade mass tells me he lived to his early 60s. Okay. <laughs> he was a large man. He was uh, six feet four inches tall, weighed 286 pounds. During World War I, he was seen on the streets of England, and a woman said to him, You should be out at the front. He said, Madam, walk around to the side, and you'll see that I am.
0: (laughs) So anyway, um, he he, he went
1: to St. Paul's School. That's an excellent high school. Milton went there, Uh and amongst other fine Englishmen. Then he went to an art school, the Slade School of Art in London, because he wanted to be a cartoonist-type, artist-type drawer. Mm -hmm. But he went into journalism and kind of wanted to be a cartoonist, but he went into writing, and that was his uh, vocation. From there on, he wrote... 4,000 essays, uh, 200 short stories, some poetry. Uh, he was a writer, mm-hmm, and, and mm-hmm. also he was a lecturer and a speaker. He made a fair amount of money. His estate in current figures was about 1.4 million pounds, and I'll convert that into dollars, and you can mm-hmm. gut it. So he he did all right. Yeah, yeah. And um, he was a, an excellent writer, and if I could just make a, a, just a generalization, I think we had excellent writing all the way up to maybe the 1950s. And then we had a drop-off, but he was in the part where there was he had a lot of good company, mm-hmm. and some of his literary influences were Charles Dickens, Dickens for and sure. then Hilaire yeah. Berlock, who was a compatriot of his, yeah. Thomas Aquinas, whom he wrote a book about, and uh, Thomas More, who was probably more of an example than uh, a writer that whose uh, style he, he, he emulated.
0: Yeah, you mentioned Charles Dickens, and he wrote a piece on Charles Dickens, and if any of you out there aren't Charles Dickens fans, I highly encourage you to read his piece. I actually think it's titled uh, Chesterton on Dickens, so uh. pretty straightforward.
1: If I could just mention, he was he was born, to, his parents were like loose Unitarians, and I'm not sure what Unitarians stand for. So anyway, but he began as a Unitarian, and uh, then he married Francis Blogg. That was his mm-hmm. wife for the rest of his life, and he became an Anglican, a high Anglican, and converted to the Catholic Church in 1922, and uh, died a Catholic.
0: What's important for us to appreciate here, as it relates to his writing, John, is that Chesterton lived in a world where there was a rise in psychoanalytics. So um, he doesn't, in his writing, especially in his writing that is more apologetic, he doesn't start with, say, sin and salvation, but rather uh, sanity and insanity. Yes. You and I were talking before about Bishop Barron, he's got a piece coming out here pretty soon, a series coming out titled Catholicism, The Pivotal Players. And what's so striking is, (laughs) for all of the figures he could have touched upon, he chooses G.K. Chesterton. We were just saying, what? You know, why are we talking about G.K. Chesterton on the hills of, say, uh, Irenaeus of Lyon and all these great doctors of the Church? Well, we're in good company because Bishop Barron chose him as well. And he makes this point G.K. Chesterton had an apologetic instinct. Yes, he did. He did not go the conventional route of apologetics. No, he would walk through the door of another so as to have them walk through his door. You see, this is what G.K. Chesterton was about. Yes. Meeting them where they're at, essentially. C.S. Yes.
1: Lewis said one of his best books he read was Everlasting Man. Yes. That was one of the things that brought him into Christianity.
0: Yeah, and so in that instinct, John, in meeting that person where they're at, He really is a forerunner to the new evangelization. It's interesting. It seems like every third week, every fourth week, as we engage these great Christian thinkers, we tap into their wisdom so as to be applied today, right? And what is that wisdom? Well, (laughs) to walk through that door that is open to you and engage them in just not unconventional ways, but in meeting them where they're at, like we said off the top, turn what they are talking about upside down so as to turn it right side up so that they can begin to think in a new way, right? And this is very much what uh, G.K. Chesterton was all about. Now, one of the more famous pieces in all of Chesterton's brilliance is the sixth chapter of Orthodoxy, John, titled Mm -hmm. Paradoxes of Christianity. And for all intents and purposes, it really should be required reading for all critics of Christianity, especially... Um, those self-anointed enlightened folk who, kind of gazing back upon and down 2,000 years of dogmatic darkness, have figured out all that's wrong with uh, the Catholic Church and now eagerly want to expose its weaknesses. What Chesterton does is he describes that intellectual shortcoming, and he shows, as he does in all of his works, once again, what appears to be something actually is not what you think it is? And is this not what paradox means? Right. There's a reason why this chapter 6 in Orthodoxy is titled Paradoxes of Christianity, because he does show how just not Christianity, but also Catholicism really, is the fullness of Christian truth, and you can only come to appreciate that and, and understand that until you begin to think in a new way. The word paradox comes from the Greek that literally means contrary to expectation. Contrary to expectation. A statement that is seemingly absurd, yet really true. (laughs) That's what paradox is all about. And of course, this is what makes up so much of Christianity. Fulton Sheen once said, to understand God, you have to first understand his mathematics. (laughs) Where, Where there is loss, you have profit. Where there is a negative, you have a positive. Where there is weakness, there is strength. Where you have death, you have life. This is the mathematics of God, this is a paradox.
1: Good point. Now I'm only about 20% sure what I'm talking about, but if you take a look at the word paradox, para is a preposition. Yes. And whether it's Greek or Latin, I forget, but it means Greek. like about, or, okay, about mm-hmm. or concerning, now docs teaching, so you're kind of getting at the truth by going around about it. Uh-huh. It's a beautiful way to explain something, yes. Mm-hmm. Joe, if I could just interject. Yeah. One of my favorite little quotes from his is, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become fashions. Mm. And you see, so here you have these very popular sayings, which people jump on the bandwagon of, but are they really worth jumping on the bandwagon for? Yeah. And uh, I mean, just going back to his time, I'll bet you that Freud was quite a to-do in his time. Oh, yes. But nowadays, I don't think Freud is quite the hit he was back Mm -hmm. then.
0: Well, and yet these are still timeless truths. I mean, you mentioned that beautiful quote and in in The Everlasting Man. He says, a dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against Uh it. Right? What is he talking about there? Well, in general terms, he's talking about secularism. Now, every age has its fad right? Every age has what's in. The the term secularism really means just not belonging to the world or belonging to a state per se, but belonging to an age, an age within the context of a generation, 40 years. And so every age, every generation has its fad, has its stamp, has its brand, if you will. And do we not brand ourselves with this brand and that brand, and we are more popular, we're, we're more in, and so on and so forth. Well, <laughs> that's all fine and well, but go against what is typical. Go against the latest fad. Go against the latest brand, and in doing so, show the world the brand of Christ. This is yes. what He wants us to see. Uh, yes, uh-huh. You know, to go against the stream also means what? Um, you're going to be challenged, it means there's going to be work. There's going to be labor. It means ultimately that we're going to have to get out of our comfort zones, John, because to go with the stream, well, that's easy. As uh, our good friend Peck once said, the road less traveled is the better road and yeah. the better
1: way. Yeah. Um, Pope Francis is telling us to get along with folks. And uh, I'm thinking that George Bernard Shaw. And G.K. Chesterton were great friends, and they appeared on the media a lot and debated each other, George Shaw being an atheist. Yeah, yeah. And they got along well. And, yeah. of course, they disagreed, but, I mean, they, they were buds all the way through. Yeah. And that's, yeah. A, th- that's very nice. I think one of the, the quotes from G.K. Chesterton, just quoting from memory, is a man who has tragedy in his heart and comedy in his head is a complete man. hmm Now, the Anglican Church, I have heard, has made G.K. Chesterton a saint, And there was an attempt to make uh, G.K. Justin uh, somehow beatified. I don't know how that is doing. I just heard of that recently, but he is that popular.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, And the reason why is because in his winsome way of speaking about things, John, he did have a way of tapping into a deeper truth, because that's what paradox does. Because God himself is a paradox in so many ways. Um, How about some of these other quotes what embitters the world is not an excess of criticism, but an absence of self-criticism. What embitters the world is not an excess of criticism, but an absence of self-criticism. What is he talking about here, John? Well, self-knowledge. Self-knowledge. It, we've touched upon this before, you know, by increasing in knowledge of those areas in our life, those faults in our life that are holding us back and experiencing know, the superabundance of, of God's joy, God's merciful embrace, we become the best version of who God is calling us to be. And so, ultimately, in self knowledge, we are made to be aware of the role that our mind has in our conversion. We should remember that the word for repentance, uh, the Greek word metanoia, its literal translation is a new direction, a new way of thinking, because a new way of thinking. Post encounter with Christ, right, leads to a new way of acting. So, for G.K. Chesterton, he'd want us to see that our volitional acts, if you will, are conditioned to our cognitive apprehension. So, the uprooting of our vices requires a thorough knowledge of our defects. And essentially, to be equipped with an interior knowledge of our defects is to allow us to, by the grace of God, grow in Christ. So when he's talking about uh, the real problem, being an absence of self-criticism, what he's saying is (laughs) self-criticism leads to a deeper understanding of who we are before God in our defects, and how we can become stronger in God by uprooting those vices, and consequently, in his grace, becoming the version that God is calling us to be.
1: Yes, right he was conservative, and therefore he was against the grain, in a sense. Okay, mm-hmm. He yes. made a comment yes. about progressives are wrong in their prescriptions of what they want to do, and conservatives are unable to make what's wrong right. Yeah. And I only halfway understand that. But he saw problems with both sides of of the situation. And, you know, conservative and progressive was as much a part of his life as it is of ours. Yeah. And yes, there are problems, but when you come up with these big changes, let's say socialism for an example, that really isn't going to solve your problem.
0: No, and ultimately for G.K. Chesterton, what was going on then is definitely going on now. Yes. Within the framework of how we talk about it, John, progressives and conservatism and so on and so forth, for him it was really about (laughs) what progressivism looks without God, what conservatism looks without God, and ultimately how you're never going to get the answer minus God, right? And while one party might be closer to the truth than the other, the reality is, without God, there's going to be some absence of truth. And so, ultimately, one has to be critical of these political demographics, if in fact, um, God is not included in these demographics.
1: Also, if I could just bring up his novel, The Man Who Was Thursday, I just mm. bring it up because I like the name of that title, <laughs> and it is, a, it is quite funny in, in many respects. The Man Who Was Thursday, there were seven people who were, um, who were kind of like anarchists, yeah, and yeah. they were going to have a vote to see who was going to represent the entire group, and they each had a name Monday through, through Saturday, and this particular character, who was actually an undercover agent for Scotland Yard, became this person who happened to be number four, who was Thursday, and yeah. he got voted in. So Thursday was the guy who went to the General English Council on Anarchists. So that's about his story, A man who was Thursday. It's it's funny, funny story. And, it's uh, a
0: funny story, and one of the reasons that G.K. Chesterton is known as the Doctor of Common Sense is he had this ability to utilize the English language like an artist, uh, like an artist. And, and by that, I mean come up with ways in which to engage in this case uh, the reader in the characters of his stories i mean just the idea of it monday tuesday wednesday thursday so on and so forth you're evangelizing the imagination and this is what he was so good at we talked about this within the stories and narratives of c.s lewis and uh, tolkien uh, this capacity with their writing to evangelize the imagination and gk chesterton very much Was about that. He was an artist that way. How about some of these other pieces here, John? To have a right to do a thing is not at all the same as to be right in doing it. Uh huh. Right? And what's going on there? Well, I think we've touched upon this before a little bit at least. Freedom is not given to us as a license to do whatever we want to do, right? But a gift um, entrusted to us, really, to do what we ought to do. This whole idea of freedom of choice, autonomous from how our freedom impacts something on the other side of it. Uh, I often think of my son when talking about Freedom John, and I can now really include my my daughter in this uh, analogy, if you will, because she's also learning the piano. Um, Do my children, are my children free to play the piano if they just walk over to the piano and strike the keys? Okay, yeah, they're free to do that. But are they really playing the piano? No, they're just striking keys. My children have been at piano lessons now for five, six years, John, they're young, and now to watch them play the piano and read music, oh, are they free, John, to play the piano. What's my point? Well, every freedom is caught up in an inherent discipline in whatever you are doing, in this case, playing the piano. You have to follow the rules and regulations, the template, if you will, of how to play a piano. And only until you understand uh, the rules of how to play the piano are you going to be truly free to play the piano. Five, six years ago, were they free to strike the keys? Yeah, sure. But the real question is, were they free to actually play the piano? No, they were not free. Um, Now, in the ability to read music, they are free. And you can apply that to any discipline, learning the language, right? <laughs> you can only really speak another language until you understand the rubrics of how to speak that language. And this is what G.K. Chesterton is talking about here. Just to be free to do something doesn't give you the right to do it, no. No, really, uh,
1: that's a very good analogy, Joe. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, uh, the piano just striking the keys, and that got to him in so many different ways. Mm-hmm. The scientific method, great but it only teaches you about the earth and the things that are on it. Mm. Mankind is a transcendent person because you can hear sounds on earth, but that's not Bach and that's not Beethoven. Only a transcendent type of entity living on this earth could really come up with the Bach, Beethoven and the piano pieces you're talking about. Yeah. And you've got to get beyond science in order to do that. And, in order to get to music or anything great you've got to get into what are the nuts and bolts of it mm-hmm. and I think he realized that and this stuff about I am what I feel like well that's true however, how do you get out just how sensitive and serious and true are those feelings you know just because yeah. you emote that's not true that's just emoting yeah
0: that's an excellent point John and there's another character to this. Um, this relationship between freedom and applying the rules according to it, and that's the evangelical character of it. What do I mean? I'm thinking of my son right now who has just uh, learned how to play Canon D, right? which is a striking piece. And five years ago, if my son was just striking keys, would the person walking by or sitting on the couch nearby stop what he or she is doing to listen? No. But about three weeks ago, someone was in our home. My son was playing this piece and he was talking to me. He just started playing. He stopped, looked over, and was almost mesmerized by what my son was playing. Yeah. Right? So there's this, this quality, this dynamism, John, this forcefulness that it just it grips you. Yeah. And what is gripping you? Truth, beauty, and goodness. Exactly. Truth, beauty, and goodness. And G.K. Chesterton understood this. Well, become the person God has called you to be by applying those principles which are the non-negotiables and ultimately open you up to be the person you are called to be. A bird is most free when it is flying. A fish is most free when it is swimming. Man, John, is most free when he is loving and loving in truth. So important.
1: Now, you know, there's a certain aspect of G.K. Chesney which reminds me of Mark Twain. Mark Mm. Twain was a stand-up comedian par excellence in his time and made a lot of money doing it. (laughs) G.K. Chesterton was the same. He was quite funny. I guess you could call him a professional comedian of sorts, but certainly he was a a raconteur and a public speaker of note, as was Mark Twain. So we have those two of them together. And um, humor gets your attention, and he could do that. He was funny. Not only did he have substance to say, but he could be funny, and that's attractive.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, John, you use the word attraction, the Latin root there speaks to you know what draws you in, and you put that within the context of faith, and rightfully so, it can become an extraordinary means of evangelization. Yeah,
1: I, there is an actor uh, of some note who goes about impersonating Mark Twain, and I've seen this guy twice mm. on stage, and if mm. I, could, I just can't think of his name now, but if I did, you, most of our listeners would know him. And Dale Alquist has impersonated um, oh, sure. uh, G.K. Chesterton. And quite yeah. funny. And, you know, yeah, he puts yeah. on the uh, costume, and he looks like him. And, yeah. uh, he, and that's a good method of evangelization that Dale Alquist has done. Absolutely. And, and the writings of G.K. Chesterton, there are, there are many. However, my own personal deal is Orthodoxy and The Everlasting Man would be two classics you may want to get to. And the Father Brown stories are quite good. Now, typical Father Brown story, this guy commits a crime and father brown the short story detective finds out who it is and he talks to this young man and he says you know you're going down the wrong path young man look at some of these other criminals you've been associated with see what they are that's see where this is where you are going. what you need to do is you need to come back to christ and the church and all that. and the young man says that's a very good point father i think i will so i mean this might be a little bit slick but um that's the Father Brown that mm-hmm. I kind of like you. Know, he's not only does he solve detective stories, but he kind of brings the culprit <laughs> back
0: mm-hmm. into the fold. <laughs> yes, he does, yes, and he does a beautiful job of doing it it's yeah. it's in those prose, John it's in that narrative that allows the reader to engage deeper truths without even really thinking about it at times.
1: If I could just bear off, one of my favorite writings of his is his poem on Lepanto oh, now, that was okay. a there was a massive I would say one of the great naval victories was. October the 7th, 1571, when the Christian fleet uh, defeated the um, Muslim fleet uh, in Lepanto, which is actually in a uh, gulf in, near Greece, actually not too far from Corinth, about 50 miles west of the city of Corinth. And there a great naval battle, and, and it took place in one day. I would rank this with Midway and uh, some of the other great naval battles of all time. I just would like to read the last stanza of this poem, about a 150-line poem. And here it goes. Cervantes on his galley sets the sword back on the sheath. Don John of Austria rides homeward with a wreath. And he sees across weary land a straggling road in Spain, a butcher and foolish knight forever rides in vain. And he smiles, but not his sultans smile, and settles back the blade, but Don John of Austria rides home from their crusade. End of poem. Cervantes was at the Battle of Lepanto. And lost his left arm as a sailor. Don John was a brilliant admiral and a 24-year-old kid who led this great victory. And I mean, the naval strategy was just perfectly set up. And th- they were the underdogs, and they won. Cervantes goes home to write the great uh, Don Quixote stories. Oh, of course. And yeah. uh, I just like the way that and this poem rhymes, which I like to see good order in poetry. And I just—it's a—it's a good, good poem.
0: It captures the, the heart of the man because yes. as we talk about. Everything we've talked about up to this point, John, as we've talked about some of these religious themes, he was very engaged in the world. He was yeah. very much in tune with what was going on around him. And in his own way, he always had a way of capturing yeah. something.
1: It is, as I said this before in the station, I think the poorest taught subject in America, or anywhere, is history. Mm. Now, not that G.K. was a historian, but he knew about it, mm-hmm. and he knew its importance. And here's yeah. a poem that he wrote about
0: it. Yeah. Well, and as we've talked about here on the radio program from day one, John, really, once you understand that history is not some series of chronological events progressing autonomous from man, but an event of freedom, then we will begin to understand history for what it is, right? The offspring of man deciding against God or for God, against this truth or for this truth, right? This is what lies at the heart of history, and this is what G.K. Chesterton captures so well just by way of closing thought here, John, a closing quote to reflect upon briefly. Um, He says, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, (laughs) probably because they are generally the same people. This is (laughs) some of his humor. (laughs) uh, That's subtle, but yet, you know, very insightful humor. Um, And it's so true, is it not? He's speaking in general terms. It's so true. I often give talks, and I, you know, I, I sometimes talk about the relationship between my wife and I and, you know, the ups and downs, if you will. And I joke around that sometimes I feel like the person I I dislike the most is my wife. And why? It's because she's the one person who knows me best, right? And in that, she knows all of my weaknesses. And sometimes I don't want to have to hear about that, right? And so she becomes almost inadvertently this enemy. Well, we don't speak of it in that context. But what gk chesterton wants us to see is that you want to know what those people who are closest to you they are probably your enemies in how you think about it you just don't really always think about it that way so start thinking about it and ask the question why why what why don't you want to be around this person or that person because they probably rub you the wrong way but if they rub you the, the wrong way that is why jesus christ is calling (laughs) you to love that person agape yes that's right (laughs) sacrificial love so anyhow i'm looking up at the clock john and we are out of time so why don't we go ahead and close with a word of prayer the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus holy mary mother of god pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death amen all glory be